Well, it's good to be with you, Madison Street. And uh, I just have to get used to I'm kind of like a rainbird sprinkler here, so I'm just kind of like a back and forth. Um, as you can well imagine, uh, it was a, a hard week to prepare uh, a message. Um, you think uh, preachers, pastors, bishops, or whatever, are just always up to get up and just kind of proclaim. I mean, you get 30 minutes to just say whatever you want and just kind of go off on whatever. Uh, it's not like that uh, all the time. As a matter of fact, this was one of those weeks where I spent a few days just sitting and staring at the walls of my office trying to take in um, the violence that permeates our world. So I've, I've prayed for God's presence this morning. I've prayed for God's uh, purpose in our midst. But I have to admit that I, uh, as I looked around my office, I needed some inspiration, some help. So I brought along a friend. I hope you don't mind this. Um, people give me stuff all the time. And uh, I have quite a collection of, of Jesus memorabilia, or whatever you call it. Uh, this one is one that I hold specially close to my heart, and this is bendable, posable Jesus of Nazareth. <laughs> now this was, uh, my, my little sister Lori is, is the uh, person who usually does this. You can get a lot of this stuff at Urban Outfitters in uh, Victoria Gardens. I think that's where she got this. Um, I have... Seriously, I have a keychain, a Jesus is the light of the world, uh, and you press a little button and a, a light goes on. I have Jesus band-aids. I, uh, I have a Jesus on a rope for the shower. It's called Hope on a Rope. <laughs> Seriously, I have all this stuff. I have dashboard Jesus that you can put on, uh, and, and he just kind of sits there and blesses you as you drive. I don't, I don't keep in the car, but all this stuff is in my office. The bendable, posable Jesus of Nazareth kind of is special to me <laughs> in a way that I'm going to kind of get at this through a backdoor way. When I got this, I thought, how, how sacrilegious is that? <laughs> and then I started to think about it, and I go, this is so profound. It's profound because um, it kind of reminds me how we have a tendency to form Jesus into any kind of person that we want him to be. Now this, he's pretty, can I say this about Jesus? This is kind of a lame representation of Jesus because he just bends his arm. But if you can just kind of get this, get this image of how we, as a society, as a culture, we like to bend Jesus to make our lives palatable, comfortable, uh, to make Jesus more like us than us like Jesus. And so I just have a little bit of kind of examples here. This will be a little bit fun. So, so we have, uh, we develop a patriotic Jesus, and we, we bend him to be much more like uh, a patriotic, patriotic culture. And I'm, I'm not like, saying any of these are completely bad. I'm just saying we have a tendency to bend Jesus in certain ways. So there's patriotic Jesus. There is uh, political Jesus that uh, we, we make Jesus uh, more uh, 
We form him in the, in the way that we see our, our partisan politics, whether it's left or right or center or whatever. And so we have patriotic Jesus. We have a nostalgic Jesus. And this is a good one. It says, now more than ever, and that's Richard Nixon. So uh, for those of you who wish for the good old days, uh, the way things used to be, you know, when, you know, whatever. I, I don't, I'm watching my tongue. But uh, <laughs> so that's, that's kind of nostalgic Jesus. And uh, let's see, what else do we have? You know, one of the things we see, in, and maybe we even see this in, in pastors, probably not here at this church, but uh, we kind of, well, those don't go on very good. I spent a lot of time on this. We have... Uh, <laughs> We have celebrity Jesus, those are sunglasses. <laughs> celebrity Jesus is kind of cool. He's popular, he's hip, he's, uh, he's successful. He's all of those things because who, you know, who wants, to worship, who wants to worship a God that's uncool and not hip, you know? So we have celebrity Jesus. And then the final one I have is uh, winner Jesus. <laughs> and when, Winner Jesus is, uh, he always comes out on top, and I'll hold that up there. It's a little trophy for Jesus, says, I win, you lose. <laughs> and so we, thank you, bendable, poseable Jesus of Nazareth, appreciate that. Um, and so you kind of get the point that in kind of a backdoor kind of way, Bendable, poseable Jesus reminds me of what we have a tendency to do to Jesus and his teaching. And this week, as I started to think about how we as a people, how we as people who call ourselves Christians or followers of Jesus, how we live, how we respond in a world, as pastor said this morning, that seems so out of control, so violent, and so beyond ourselves. How do we as Christians, how do we bend to form ourselves, our hearts and our minds, to be more like Jesus than bending Jesus to be more like us? So that's kind of where I'm going uh, this morning. Um, I, I have a, uh, a good friend. He's a good friend, and he's also a pastor that I oversee in, in, uh, in Kansas. He's an associate pastor. His name is Ron. And I'll never forget a conversation I had with Ron a number of years ago. Um, Ron is this gung-ho kind of guy. He told me that uh, during the Vietnam War, rather than being drafted, he volunteered to go to Vietnam. He volunteered, and in his words, he said, I volunteered to go to Vietnam because I wanted to kill people. His words. I, and this is my pastor now. I got all sorts of pastors. Jeff's not the strangest pastor I have. <laughs> really. He volunteered for Vietnam because he wanted to kill people. So he was assigned to a base in Southeast Asia, and he did everything he could. This is crazy to me. He did everything he could to get to the front lines. But physical issues kept him out. 
So this is what he did. Instead, since they wouldn't put him out there with a gun in his hand on the front lines, at night, after all of his fellow soldiers had gone to bed, he would wake up in the middle of the night and he would sneak around his camp, stalking his own men, pretending that they were the enemy so that when he would go finally to fight a war, he had honed his skills. I don't know if anybody ever woke up and said, hey, Ron, what are you doing here, you know? But he, he, was, so, he was so turned that way that it was just something he couldn't get out of his mind. It was a part of his psyche, this kind of uh, wanting to be involved in killing other people, the enemy. And so I asked him, I said, Ron, how did you go from wanting to kill people, his words, how did you go from wanting to kill people to seeing things from a completely different perspective? Because he is just completely sold out for Jesus now. And he has one of the most gentle and, and kind hearts that you will ever meet. Here's what he said. He said, I read the words of Jesus and slowly I came to see the world from his point of view. And you say, well, that's pretty simple, isn't it? Oh, no. No. See, that is a, a bending of a person who's completely a different way, bending them heart, mind, and soul, and passion from wanting to destroy things to being the most loving and peaceable person I've probably ever met. And you say, how does that happen? Ron's own words. I read the words of Jesus, and slowly I came to see the world through his eyes. We have a bunch of core values in our church, and it's our attempt to see the world through Jesus' eyes. I'm sure, knowing your pastor, I'm sure he, is, uh, he shared these with you, preached on these. But one that we have is called pursuing peace. And here's what this core value says. It says, we, and this is we as a church, a family, brother in Christ, sisters and brothers in Christ, we value all human life and promote forgiveness, understanding, reconciliation, and nonviolent resolution of conflict. And I have changed the title of my message this morning from pursuing peace to waging peace. The reason I have done that, and I was talking to my, my 24-year-old daughter this morning over coffee as she was getting ready to go to her church. Uh, she said, what do you mean by waging peace? I said, that's a really good question. Why did I change it? And I just told her, I, you know, your dad, you kind of like you stand up and go, well, turn with me to the book of Luke, you know. <laughs> uh, I almost felt like pursuing peace was not strong enough for this week. To pursue something, I mean, I pursued my wife, and that seems kind of funky to me. Uh, I felt like this is a week to proclaim that as followers of Jesus Christ, we don't just pursue something called peace, that we wage peace. We fight for peace, if you can do that. We live with every soul, every fiber of our being. We live to wage peace 
in opposition to a world that's just completely, completely foreign to us. I shared kind of the premise of my, my message this morning, and, and Kate said back, it was, it was beautiful. She said, she goes, Dad, she goes, it's almost impossible to be a Christian in this world today. And I said, exactly. Because if being a Christian is easy, then I would contend that it's not Christianity at all. When a faith involves a cross and sacrificial love and, and the passion of someone who would go from heaven to earth and die as a criminal, it can't be easy. It will never be easy. If your Christianity has become easy, then it's good for you to be here this morning. Because in the light of the kind of evil and violence that we face in this world, the message of Jesus will never be easy, but it will be redemptive, and it will be true, and it will be light in the midst of so much darkness. So, my message this morning is waging peace. Some reasons this whole issue of of peace in the midst of violence is such a challenging principle. First of all, Jesus' words are in stark reality to the world in which we live. When I read those in a few minutes, you you will see how, how radically different Jesus' perspective is. Waging peace in many ways is not practical. It may not work well, in, or it may work well in some idealized world. And lots of people say, well, that's how we need to take Jesus' words, is they're idealized, therefore, some other age. They're practical for that, but certainly not the violent world in which we live. Waging peace goes against my nature. I don't know about yours. I would much rather take revenge and return evil for evil than to return evil with good. So, it goes against at least my nature. Waging peace seems unjust. People deserve punishment, not mercy. Waging peace does not feel as good as taking revenge. I like to take revenge. I think it's fun to take revenge, and I try to do it as much as I can. It just helps me feel righteous. Waging peace seems counterintuitive. Violence seems to be necessary to control violence in the world in which we live. And and that is the way in which we kind of justify fighting violence with violence with violence with violence. So I, I get that. We are called to be bent to the ways and teachings of Jesus. And so this is the passage that God brought to my mind as me and bendable, posable Jesus of Nazareth prepared for this message this morning. It's in Luke chapter 6, verses 27 to 36. Luke 6, chapter, uh, chapter 6, verses 27 to 36. Hear the words of our Lord. But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. 
Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them. And lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be sons and daughters of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your father is merciful. Waging peace is probably one of the hardest things we will ever do in this world. Yeah, let me give you just a few reasons to take this principle and the teaching of Jesus seriously. First of all, this way of thinking is central to the life and teaching of Jesus. The Old Testament refers to Jesus as the Prince of Peace. And so even before Jesus became incarnate and became flesh, the the prophets cried out that one was coming who would be known as Prince of Peace. This teaching is consistent with the way that God treats all of us who were once his enemies when he sent Jesus to die for us. Have you ever stopped to think about that? While we were yet sinners, Paul says in Romans 5.8, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is how he demonstrated his love for us. He gave us what we didn't deserve. And even before we even responded to his son in love, and accepted his forgiveness, Jesus extended his love to us, his peace to us. God does not give us what we deserve. We deserve death. He gives us life. We, des- we deserve justice. He gives us mercy. We deserve the punishment, and he gives us grace. It's a strange thing, this God that we serve. It is a strange thing to call ourselves followers of this Jesus who brought the the truth from heaven down to earth and spoke to us in ways that we could understand and we could receive. As a matter of fact, this teaching of Jesus is one of the distinctive ethical teachings that sets Christianity apart from any other world religion. This distinctive teaching. And so let's take just a few minutes to look at four key statements in Luke chapter 6, beginning with verse 27. Jesus maybe began with the hardest one when he said, love your enemies. 
And then in verse 32, he said, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And then in 35, he repeats it and says, but love your enemies. I just wonder, what is the first person, the first group of people, don't shout it out, for goodness sake. (laughs) When I say, who's your enemy? You can share it in a small group somewhere. Don't, don't share it here. Because that person may be on the other side of the room. I just stop and think practically those people who I would call my enemies. I know that I love the people who love me. My wife is very lovable, by the way. Marta and I celebrated uh, 30 years of marriage this this year, and she is a lovable, kind human being, and she loves me back. It really works out well. (laughs) It's easy to love someone who loves you back, right? I love my daughters because they think I am the best dad in the entire world, and they tell me that, and I'm like, this is so cool. You're the best daughters. I'm the best dad. It's awesome. Aren't we awesome? And it's easy because love is reciprocal. And that's why I say following Jesus is not the easy way. You think about those people who do not want to reciprocate your love, who may not think you're the best thing since sliced bread, and and may even as a group um, consider you as an enemy. Love your enemies, Jesus said. See, there's nothing distinctive or unique about loving those who love you. Jesus says, even those who don't follow Jesus love those who love them. And so the question is, in the midst of a world that's so polarized and so opposed to each other and so angry and so violent, and Jesus' world, by the way, Jesus' world, living under Roman rule, it wasn't any different. So get over that. Oh, Jesus lived in a different... No, no way. Jesus was speaking in the midst of a very practical situation where Christians were on the brink of being uh, tortured and persecuted and martyred. Jesus said, don't forget who you are. Do you ever tell this to your kids or do you ever get told this as a kid? Don't forget who you are. I remember, I mean, my daughters are now past teenage, uh, teenage years, but there would be points in which I, I would go on Instagram. You know, I stalk. I stalk them all the time. I'm glad they let me on Instagram, Facebook, or whatever, and I'd go on there, and I'm like going, ooh, that picture, really? <laughs> so I call them, call them into my office. Hi, can I talk to you? <laughs> Hi, it's the bishop here. Can you come, come on down? I tried to say it in as nice, nice a way as I could, but I said, don't forget who you are. Don't, you're, you're part of a family. It's not just you and your friends in your bikini or whatever. It's not just that. We're part of each other. I would say it gently, but I try to get, get across the same point, that we can't forget who we are in the midst of all of the anger and in the midst of all of the rhetoric and the saber rattling, in the midst of all of the violence around us, we can't forget who we are. 
We are not our own, the Scripture tells us. We have been bought with a price. And so the hard part of that is living for one that we call Lord, the boss of our lives. And so, love your enemies. Secondly, Jesus says, do good to those who hate you. And I don't know if any of these are completely different than the other ones, but uh, this one takes on a much more, to me, a much more practical uh, standpoint or whatever. Verse 33, and if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. I was reminded of Romans chapter 12, verse 17 that says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Don't take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. And then Paul goes on and says, on the contrary to taking revenge, he says, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I don't know if I've shared this story with you before, but it's, it's one that always comes to mind here. Um, when I was in seminary, I had a good friend named... Uh, David Zerker. Uh, David Zerker has gone on to be a, a, a prof, a, a history prof at uh, Messiah College in Pennsylvania. But uh, after the shootings at Nickel Mines in Pennsylvania, and you remember the shooter that went into the schoolhouse and sent all the little boys out and left 10 little girls there? You remember that? He was a milkman, he went off the rails. He went into this Amish one-room schoolhouse, dismissed the boys, and proceeded to execute the girls. He shot 10 girls, 10 little girls, little Amish girls. Five of them died, and many of them had life-debilitating injuries that followed that. There is a movie, uh, my, my roommate Dave Zerker helped author the book called Amish Grace. Now, I don't know if you ever saw a movie called Amish Grace, but it kind of ca- it, it, it redid this horrible, tragic event. But I've heard Dave talk about this as a follow-up, and, and, and the response of the Amish community is nothing short of otherworldly. The shooter was an Amish, But the Amish almost immediately began to offer gestures of forgiveness after the shooting. One Amish neighbor, just hours after the shooting, went to comfort the shooter's parents, if you can imagine that. The most powerful demonstration of the depth of Amish forgiveness was when members of the Amish community went to the killer's burial service at the cemetery so they could offer They could offer love to the shooter's family. 
Several Amish families who had buried their own daughters just the day before were in attendance, and they hugged the widow and hugged them, the other members of the killer's family because the killer had taken his own life. Soon after, the Amish community gathered and donated money to the killer's widow and her three young children. You say, that's absolutely insane. And I asked Dave Zerker, I said, uh, uh, you know, I've been a Christian for 40 years. I don't, I totally don't understand this. I said, how does a community learn to do that? He says, the way they did that is they practice forgiveness every single day of their lives. Morning, noon, and night, they say the Lord's Prayer that includes the phrase, forgive them their sins, even as you forgive me my sins. And he says, from the earliest point in these children's lives, it is ingrained in them that they return good for evil, that they offer forgiveness in the midst of the most hor horrific offenses. Is Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. who said this, he says, darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. And in the response of this community of these humble people, they were providing light the only way they could in the midst of terrible darkness. Do we have within us the ability to do good even in the face of evil? Do we have within us the ability to offer forgiveness when we have been wrong? I'd say in and of ourselves, no. But through the power of the Spirit of Jesus, the peaceable one who lives within us, through him, we can say yes. We can drive out darkness with light. Let me just touch on these last two phrases that Jesus gives us. He says, bless those who curse you. In chapter 6 of Luke and verse 34, he says, if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. When I think of blessing others, I think of not only an action, I think of the way I use my mouth, right? The words that I say, I always assign my salutations or almost always on my emails and stuff, uh, blessings. Because I want to be a person who can say that whenever I have an opportunity to use my mouth um, to say words, that people will receive it as a blessing. Uh, am I, do I bat a thousand? Oh yeah, I'm perfect all the time. I just want you to know, <laughs> you know? But it's one of those challenges in, a, in the midst of such a verbal world. Our words matter. Kate, my 24-year-old daughter that I talked to you about, uh, works retail. And uh, she has done scientific studies with other people in retail. Any of you in retail here? Oh, God bless you. Yeah, kind of, sort of. She works at kind of a high-end grocery store where you'd think people would have be filled with grace. Nah, they're not. She says her scientific study, in her mind, 
uh, she has come to realize that three out of four people that she encounters are mean, bitter, and angry. As a person who interfaces with the public all day long, she says that holds up almost all eight hours of my day every day at work. And she's the one that says, Dad, it's really hard to be a Christian in the world. It's like, yeah, if you work retail, it's really hard. (laughs) But I just think, um, I just think of the challenge for us who, who follow Jesus to be people of blessing rather than people of cursing. People who respond to the meanness of the world as people who just say, you know what? I'm going to bless you with a thank you, with an I'm sorry, with a good job. And in this particular store, if you ever go to Trader Joe's, which I shouldn't have said what store it was, but you ever go to Trader Joe's, you can bless the workers there by helping bag your own groceries. Are we people of blessing? Jesus from the cross, even when they had put him on the cross, they hurled insults at him, and he was the one who said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And I don't know if people always don't know what they're doing. I think lots of times they know exactly what they're doing. The challenge to us as followers of Jesus is to bless rather than curse when we are given the opportunity. Finally, Jesus says, pray for those who mistreat you. In Matthew chapter 5, 44 to 45, Jesus says it this way. He says, pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons and daughters of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And here Jesus says in Luke, beloved your enemies, Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be sons and daughters of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Listen to that. He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. As I was filled with anger and rage and hurt and despair this week, as I thought about the violence of this world into which I have brought my three beautiful daughters, I was challenged once again of the importance for me to not just try and be a good person, but to pray for those who haven't seen the light, to pray for those who are enmeshed in this world of violence and darkness, to to draw a line underneath all of those people that I love and care for and want to pray for, those people who are sick and who are lacking jobs, all of those brothers and sisters that I really think deserve prayer, to draw a line and then put a whole list of people, a whole list of groups that I don't want to pray for at all. To show mercy where God would have us show mercy. And so, we are called to pray for those who mistreat us. If waging peace is not practical, then the cross is not practical. 
If waging peace is not practical, then forgiveness is not practical. If waging peace is not practical, then grace is not practical. I would contend this morning that the words of Jesus are not only practical, but they're good and they're right, and they need to be a part of who we are as brothers and sisters in Christ. Just a few thoughts before I close. Part of the great battle takes place in our minds and our hearts. So the scripture says, guard your heart, guard your minds. And if that means that we need to turn off the, the 24-7 news cycle, whether you're, you're on this side or that side, then maybe that's what we need to do so that our attitude would be the same as that as Christ Jesus, Philippians 2.5. We may need to, to just shut some things down so we have a greater interaction and communion with God. Guard your mind. Wage peace. Wage peace in your speech. Think of how many words you cast out there every single day. Are you waging peace? Or are you just feeling good about getting your opinion out there? I would challenge us to reconsider the use of our mouths, whether for cursing or whether we use them for blessing. Whether it's for being right or for allowing God to be right. Wage peace with your speech. And finally, as Jesus says, wage peace in your actions. Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who mistreat you. And I close with a, something that's almost as off the wall as bendable, poseable Jesus. My girls were young, and, and we lived in Pomona, and we would go to the Pomona Library to check out books and, and to do... Uh, homework and stuff like that and I remember one time they had some kind of assignment I said sit here do your work I'm going to wander around so I I was just wandering around I pulled a book randomly let's look at titles they pulled a book randomly off the stack this is like 20 years ago 25 years ago I pulled it off and said the title was the hundred a ranking of the most influential persons in history I thought that's kind of cool you know I'm, I know who's number one. I wanted to see who's number two and number three, you know, because Jesus is winner Jesus, right? So uh, I started to flip through it. I went through one. It wasn't Jesus. Guy's obvious, obviously an atheist. Number two, it wasn't Jesus. I came to three. It was Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Like on... This is weird to me. And I read a little bit, and I got to the end. And here's what this author said. He talked about the teachings that we have just read out of the Gospel of Luke this morning. This author did. He said, these ideas, the principle of love for enemies found in the Sermon on the Mount, which were not a part of the Judaism of Jesus' day, nor of any other religions, are surely among the most remarkable and original ethical ideas ever presented. 
And then the author said this. He said, if they were widely followed, I would have had no hesitation in placing Jesus first in my book. And then he said this. But the truth is, is that these teachings are not widely followed. In fact, they are not even generally accepted. Most Christians consider the injunction to love your enemy as at most an ideal which might be realized in some perfect world, but one which is not a reasonable guide to conduct, uh, to conduct in the actual world we live. And then I put this in bold. We do not normally practice it, do not expect others to practice it, and do not teach our children to practice it. Jesus' most distinctive teaching, therefore, remains an intriguing but basically untried suggestion. And therein lies the challenge to us, brothers and sisters, as children of the Most High God, as followers of Jesus Christ, as people who are being challenged by his words to be bent or conformed into his likeness rather than bending and posing him into our likeness. May God have mercy on us and may he teach us from the inside out how to wage peace. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we don't know exactly what to do in the midst of the world in which we are living. And in many ways, surprisingly and wonderfully, we are being driven back into your arms. Would you receive us, Lord, and re-anoint us, re-baptize re us with your spirit so that we might truly be conformed to your likeness and your will. Lord, we don't have all the answers. All we know is that you have called us with some really hard words to be more like you than like the world. And so, God, this morning, we pray that as we go from this place, you would help us to be just a little bit more like Jesus so that we might wage peace in the midst of our world. We thank you and praise you in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.